Hey everybody and welcome to a powerful wild ride with Steve-O. This one is just revealing and intimate. We got a wrestling legend peeling back the curtain, letting us know what really goes on and opening up a whole lot. So let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, Drew McIntyre. Yeah, dude. And on lads, how are you? Good. I was gonna, wasn't gonna say it to when we're on the air, but I love the t-shirt you got there. Oh, the insane clown posse. Is that insane clown posse yeah. in the region of Dungir? Oh, no way. I always wanted to wrestle at the gathering of the juggalos, but I never got the chance. <laughs> oh my god, dude. We just got back. We just, oh, yeah, was it? we just got back from the the gathering of the juggalos and there was the craziest, awesomest experience ever. Yeah, it's probably the coolest thing I've done the last like you know five years for sure. <laughs> Yeah, Super I always heard how cool it was. And uh, the three years I was gone from WWE, that was one of the places I wanted to work. And timing-wise, it just never worked out. And obviously, you know, getting permission from WWE to work the gathering of the jugglers is a little difficult. Right. They did huh? have a wrestling ring there on stage. Really? People they wrestled? Did, huh? Yeah, they did, huh? Yeah, I don't know what they did in there, but they certainly had a <laughs> wrestling ring. Oh, yeah, they definitely have wrestling and all sorts of stuff going oh, on yeah. from that <laughs> That's right. Shaggy was telling me that uh, their whole deal started with wrestling. Uh, well, okay, so this is my co-host, Scott Randolph, <laughs> assuming that you guys have We spoke met. a little bit. All right. Yeah, and up, up at the front of the van, we've got the gorgeous Paul Brisky. <laughs> Hi, Drew. Nice to meet you. What's up, gorgeous Paul? It, it's great to see you again. Uh, so you didn't have to travel far to go to that uh, Shack Bowl where we met in Tampa because you live in Tampa. I did at the time. Yeah, so it was a very uh, close drive for me. But now, if I was to drive, it would take about 12 hours. I just moved to Nashville, Tennessee about four weeks ago. So this is my new digs I'm coming from right now. Nice, man. Cool. What was the reason for the move? Just a new beginning? Yeah, we wanted to change. I've lived in Florida the whole time I've been in America. It's almost 13 years now. My wife uh, has work opportunities here. She works in the medical field. She has family close by. We got friends. Um, around this area and it reminds me of scotland you know a lot of hills a lot of greenery and we got seasons here which i kind of miss huh. all right yeah it's lush it, it, you guys are getting pretty rained out right now though right in nashville i mean not <laughs> no it's actually really sunny I, I did hear about the the floods unfortunately they're about an hour and a half from oh, where i'm okay, at okay. and mount juliet area but yeah we've been very fortunate just how sunny it is here Good. Yeah, dude. So you're, so you're the WWE champion. And Former WWE champion, unfortunately. When I met you at the Shaq Bowl, I was currently a champion at the time. But I'm fighting to get that thing back right now. Good, man. Good. Now, I say it sounded counterintuitive to me. WWE champion. Is there not like champions of each different weight division? Uh, well, the WWE Championship is considered the main title in WWE. It's the WWE Heavyweight Championship. But we also have another title, which is equal in value. Um, the WWE Championships on our flagship show, Monday Night Raw, on USA. And Fridays on Fox, we have WWE SmackDown, which has the Universal Championship. Both equal in value. Then we have other titles, like the Intercontinental Championship, the United States Championship, and the Tag Team Championship, which is obviously two people at the same time that are champion. But the WWE title, that's a big one. I've had it twice, and I want it back. Hmm. Yeah. How, how does your life change when you have that, that strap? 
Does, does life get any different uh, for yeah, you? A lot more responsibility. Yeah, the responsibility level goes up. I love that. You know, mm. this is all I ever wanted to do. I've been wrestling for 21 years. I started when I was 15 years old. When I finally won the WWE title, timing-wise, it wasn't ideal. So I've been working my whole life to get my WWE title match. I won an event called the Royal Rumble in 2020. 40,000 people went crazy at Houston, Texas. This uh, Royal Rumble event I won. I won my first heavyweight title match. I could select the champion I wanted to fight. I chose Brock Lesnar. He's the guy I wanted to fight. I'm crazy enough to fight Brock Lesnar. We're going to face each other at WrestleMania that year. 90,000 people my American hometown at the time, Tampa, Florida. My wife was going to be there. My family from Scotland were going to be there. Then the pandemic hit. So, uh, unfortunately, I won the WWE Championship in front of nobody at WrestleMania. Not how I dreamed of it as a kid. But at the time, you know, every other sport shut down. Every other entertainment company shut down. WWE was only original content in the world. We were bringing everyone WrestleMania at the height of the pandemic. My match was last. It was kind of a feel-good story with all the ups and downs I've been through in my life and career. It was a kind of happy ending. So I was very proud to be champion during the period when we had no fans. I lost the title during that period. I won it back when we had virtual fans, and I lost it before we got the fans back live. So now we have our live fans back. I've been champion for over 300 days, and I've never been champion of my live fans, which drives me insane. <laughs> wow. So is that the only time that you wrestled with Brock Lesnar? Uh, yes, uh, we had a program from January when I won the Royal Rumble to WrestleMania, which is like a three, four month period where we're interacting with each other. And I was getting to drop him a few times, which doesn't happen very often. Not many men on this earth drop Brock Lesnar, but I was able to drop him multiple times. It really helped elevate my character, elevate my stock. And when I beat him, I beat him in five minutes at WrestleMania. And yeah, let's Brock, be honest. You, you whooped his ass. <laughs> I absolutely whooped his ass. <laughs> Five minutes beating Brock Lesnar, but Brock Lesnar really cemented Drew McIntyre as a top player in WWE and really, you know, put me on top of the mountain and allowed me to lead the charge for WWE in one of the strangest times in our history at the height of the pandemic. Yeah. Is it scarier to face Brock Lesnar given his uh, transition into MMA and becoming a UFC guy? I'm sure it was scary to face him at any time <laughs> in your life. Like, this is a guy that's just a freak of nature, an incredible right. athlete, NCAA champion uh, multiple times for heavyweight wrestling, get into WWE incredibly young, won the world title, youngest world champion in history, 23 years old, dominated WWE, decided to travel. And, you know, how hard WWE can be on the body and the mind was too hard for him. So he quit and then became UFC champion instead because he thought that was a little easier. Then returned to WWE with a reduced schedule. So I feel very fortunate that I was able to face and defeat somebody of that caliber. Yeah, dude, unbelievable. Now, you, you, you mentioned your ups and downs in, uh, in your career. And we were talking before, before you know, starting the podcast with you about how arguably the, the biggest down of your career seems to be like really deliberately part of a WWE storyline. Like where you're in the middle of a match and they say, that's it, he's, you're fired, right? Like it felt like that had to be you know, part of the, the, this manufactured you know, WWE story. But then you're on the independent circuit and it's like, it, we, we, we were trying to make sense of that. You know, like, uh, I, I mean, I guess you don't want to peel back the curtain too much with WWE, but it's obviously something that was incredibly real because here you go off into all of these other organizations. But, uh, 
I mean, it's just crazy. But then, of course, you come back and you become champion. Like, uh, did you, what was that like? Uh, well, I'm very open about everything. You can ask whatever you want. I'm not afraid to talk about anything. Um, I think we, you might have watched or referring to is I got fired, quotation marks, on a storyline on television a few years ago. That was just part of the story. Like my character was on a downward spiral. I got fired and then I got rehired and I continued on for a couple of years. And then in 2014, I got fired for real. That was the storyline. You just oh. me and said, you're fired. So it's two different things. One was part of the show. The other was you're fired from your dream job. And the truth is that... Um... Sometimes the truth can be hard to admit. But since Drew McIntyre is about to open up so much, so will I. I am self-conscious of my gray hair, okay? That's why when I get my hair cut, it's got to be so close to the skin. That's why it's so important to me to manscape, okay? Because my chest hair is gray, dude. And I just feel like I look better and have more confidence if I'm well-groomed right? And that's why I use Manscaped, dude. Their Lawnmower 4.0 is the best men's grooming device out there. Plus, their Weed Whacker keeps all the hair out of my nostrils, man. It's a bad look if you got hair coming out of your nostrils. And I know that you need to try this. So that's why if you go to manscaped.com slash Stevo, you get 20% off your order plus free shipping. Don't look like a slob with disgusting hair. Okay, groom yourself with Manscaped and get this killer deal by going to manscaped.com slash Stevo for 20% off your order and free shipping. Now, let's get into that truth. You know, I'd lost perspective at that point. When I was a kid, I'd always dreamed of being in WWE in Air Scotland. What, would, would have done anything to get there, did do anything to get there, worked my arse off from 15 years old to 21, get my education at the same time, got my degree from university in criminology, miraculously got signed as the first ever Scotsman to WWE, would have been happy to be the water boy at that point. And it got to the point throughout my career after 23 years old, been named the chosen one by Vincent Mann on television, the future of the company, getting these huge opportunities, screwing them up, going on not just a downward spiral on television, but in my personal life, a lot was going on. My mother got sick outside of the ring away in Scotland uh, with cancer. She inevitably passed. And outside the ring, I was a train wreck. I was going out, drinking all the time, partying all the time, arguing with people at work, annoyed with my position. And quite frankly, I had to get fired to get a wake-up call. And the day I got fired is the day I sat, looked myself in the mirror and said, this is on you, buddy. Um, you know, you're going through a lot. You probably should have faced... But at the same time, you lost perspective. And from that day forward, I promised myself I would work as hard as I possibly could in every area of my game. I'd be accountable for the first time to the person in the mirror. And I would work my way back to WWE one way or another. And also, I've got to take a second to thank the wife. Because as much as I was going to work hard in the wrestling aspect, that's all I knew. As a person, I was so immature. You know, I was a boy when I got fired. She helped me grow so much as a man. Throughout that time period, I traveled the world. I was the busiest wrestler in the world. I helped grow multiple companies all across the globe. And it felt really good that in WWE, the name sells the brand. You see WWE, unless it's John Cena or The Rock, you're going to go see WWE. But my real name, Drew Galloway, was helping multiple companies across the world grow. Like in Scotland, we went from 1,500 people to 2,000 people to 4,000 people to over 7,000 people. And I had a big effect on that. And that was a great period for me to grow as a wrestler, but grow as a man. And three years later, I had a phone call with Triple H, 
basically it was time to come home. I returned to WWE and thankfully uh, it was time for me to become the top guy, become WWE champion. So it's been a fun old ride the past 13 years I've been in America, that's for sure. Man, I, I got to say that it's impressive like to, to hear you talk about your accountability and, you know, like, hey, that was on me. I, I saw that in, in some stuff, the, some videos I watched about you. And uh, universally you get a lot of credit and a lot of respect for for owning up you know for for manning up and and taking accountability and that's just that's awesome man i love to hear it i, I can Thank think you. i can think of one guy who I, I wish would adopt that approach to life <laughs> and uh yeah. yeah dude so um congrats on all that man and 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 the, the story of growing up and you know, being accountable again, man. I, I love that. Uh, and I document it all right here. Oh, yeah, We've got a book called A Chosen Destiny. The Drew yeah. McIntyre story. Crazy. You're, so you're holding a hardcover version of it, which presumably means it's new. Uh, yeah, it came out um, a few months ago. And um, it's basically the story um, in depth that I just told. You know, I never thought to myself, like, during a worldwide pandemic, you know what the world needs right now is that 35-year-old wrestler from WWE's uh, story. Like, an outside company came to WWE, talked about how open and honest I am about my story and all my downfalls and how many times I've had to fight back my resilience, et cetera, and basically said, we think it could inspire some people. Would Drew be willing to put it down in a book? So I spoke to the wife about it. We decided yes, but I want to be as open as possible. We'll make wrestling the foundation of the book in Oma Wrestler. We'll simplify the industry, explain how it works, but that's not what it's all about. It's about you know, showing people no matter how dark times can get, and I've been through some dark ass times, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. You just got to keep believing, got to keep fighting and surround yourself with positive people. And if my book can inspire just one person to chase their dreams or get out of those dark times, that's what it's all about. I love yeah. it, man. I, I don't think it's fair to say there's always a light at the end of the tunnel, but I think it is fair to say there always can be a light at the end of the tunnel if you choose to pursue one. A lot of yeah. people don't. Yeah, we talked about yeah. earlier is that like looking in the mirror and that right. like accountability and being honest with yourself part because I was not honest for a long time. There was times where I wouldn't even look in the mirror most days because I didn't like what I saw. But eventually, if you can get to that point, you can look yourself in the mirror, be honest, say, today I'm going to give it my best, even if it's just a little progression every single day. And by the end of the day, if you can look back in that mirror and say, I gave it the best I had today, I tried to be positive because negativity can only bring negativity. And you can't lie to yourself in the mirror and you keep that up every day. You'll keep getting better, keep getting better. I know because I've done it twice over. Yeah, dude. That's awesome, man. Uh, and, and it sounds, dude, also thank you for, for your candor, you know, to to be transparent like that's what we love that on here and i know that everybody watching and listening loves it too and that lends credibility to the book you know you said that you're out there drinking you're drinking like crazy you got all the crazy you know like juicy stuff for the book and and with uh you know the happy ending about you know growing up and life becoming good i think that sounds like a book that's well worth purchasing so so what's your preferred way for people to buy the book uh, I've been very lucky that it's literally everywhere. I think it's on Amazon and Walmart and Target. Like I walk into wow. the store and see my see my stupid face on the shelf. Like I've been very fortunate, fortunate that it's everywhere. And that's the thing about being like honest and open. I always am at all times. And it's funny that when I finally connected with our WWE audience is when I started just being myself. I've been wrestling 20 years and within WWE is always a bad guy. And I'm a foreign guy. I'm 6'5", 270, and hairy and Scottish. Got to be a bad guy. I talk about eating carcasses. I was angry all the time. 
no one can relate to a giant hairy angry Scotsman except the one guy in Scotland who's giant hairy and angry and like I get that guy <laughs> <Yeah>. finally <laughs> I was allowed to be myself I talked the way I'm talking right now in the microphone maybe enunciated a little more told some of my jokes which are dad jokes I'm not really funny I'm sarcastic in real life I'm not afraid to fall flat in my face and I've obviously you know got the story of fighting and overcoming a lot we started telling that on television I started being the real me and the crowd started responding so positively and it was all organic it was all being myself but the volume turned up a little bit and I couldn't believe that I was like all I had to do was be myself and I'd finally make that connection with the audience and since then no, I always try to never put myself in a situation where I have to lie I'd rather say nothing than ever lie yeah. For oh, sure, man. Fantastic. I feel like people that grow up in Scotland are automatically just tougher than American people. You know, like I, I imagine <laughs> you growing up in Scotland, just getting in a lot of fights or, you know, being the big guy. I feel like people yeah. always want to challenge you. Is that true? Growing up in grade school and in high school? Yeah, a few times. It wasn't so bad because in America, I'm a big guy. But in Scotland, I'm a monster. I was always head and shoulders <laughs> above everybody. And I used to hate it when I was a kid. I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm a freak. Because I was literally, when I say head and shoulders, I mean head and shoulders above everyone. I saw it as a negative thing till I got to like 10, 11, wanted to be a wrestler, realized they were huge. I went, oh, wait, this is actually a good thing. But there were a few times where I was at the bus stop with friends when I went to like the secondary school, we call it, age 11. And people are like, oh, there's Drew the wrestler. And the expression in Scotland when someone wants to start a fight, for some reason, is, what are you looking at? Clearly, you're looking at them. I don't know why people say it in Scotland, but they do. <laughs> and then my response was, clearly, I'm looking at you. So this one guy and his five friends or whatever, they stepped forward. And one of them went, wait, this was my nickname when I was a kid. That's Drew the wrestler. Was, I don't care who he is. This was before I started wrestling. The guy grabbed me in a headlock. Instead of throwing a punch, I, I never know why he grabbed me in a headlock. But I stood up with him and threw him against the bus stop and he hit it like a movie splattered in his face these kids were a bit older than us and from that day forward nobody messed with me and i was drew the wrestler officially wow Jesus, i love it hey, don't mess with drew you said you've been wrestling for 21 years yeah since i was 15 i'm 36 now just turned okay i'm i'm dying to know like uh in any of your 21 years of wrestling did you ever like secretly tape a razor blade under a, a wristband or a headband so that you could like take a shot and then be a bloody mess and make it like a more exciting match. Uh, not in WWE. And I've only done it a couple of times. You know, in WWE. Yes, that's yes, a thing. He's done it. Yeah, yes. We stopped, yeah, we stopped, we stopped using blood in WWE you know, a long time ago. You know, we, t we can tell our stories without you know, getting that graphic. Um, but I'd be lying if I said that three year period I was gone, in WWE, I worked for a lot of over-18s companies, including the one I mentioned where we grew the crowd from 1,500 to over 7,000 people. And I got in some significant deep feuds with some of my childhood friends. And we made things so personal. Like, I involved my dad in a storyline. I involved <laughs> multiple people throughout my childhood in a storyline. We made it so real that the person I was feuding with, my friend who wrestles as Jack Jester, like, started not talking to me. He was so offended all the time. He literally started hating me. That's how I really got. And during our big match, I may have used something to help me get some blood just for the visual effects. <laughs> ah, yeah. I, I have done it once or twice. Man, that's fantastic. How'd you know about that? Well, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a big time blood letter, dude. <laughs> you know, I, and, and uh, it was actually at the gathering of the Juggalos. I showed up and and I said, I, I promise you guys, by the end of the night, I will be covered in my own blood. And uh, yeah, my trick is to uh, break a light bulb over my head, and then with a, a shard of broken glass, like you know, cut my tongue, because it's, wow. it, it bleeds a ton, 
and it, the tongue is the fastest healing part of your body. So it's like you can bleed all over yourself, and then like five minutes later, you're you're back to normal. And Maybe some of the older wrestlers should have done that. You know, back in the day, it was more prevalent <laughs> with the wrestlers cutting themselves. If you ever had the chance to meet like a Dusty Rhodes, for example, their foreheads are so marked yeah. in the years of cutting themselves to get the blood effect. They probably should have cut their tongue and just rubbed it in their heads. Yeah, <laughs> right. Probably. Yeah, you know, dude, I'm, I'm dead. Like, every once in a while, I, I, I break out a crazy story that I've never told. It, when I was uh, with maybe like six, seven, eight, I was very, very young. For some reason, I, I, I was in my parents' bathroom just messing around, being mischievous, and I and I took their, their toothpaste and squeezed it onto the counter. <laughs> and I thought... Why did you do that, dude? That was dumb. You know, like, uh, I, I got to clean this up. So the first thing I saw to grab to clean it up was uh, a, a disposable razor by the thing. And so I took the razor and, like, tried to scrape off the toothpaste. But then I look at it and I say, oh, no, well, now I've gotten this toothpaste on this razor. Now this is even worse. So I took the razor and I fucking licked it to try to, li- li- to, to lick off the, I'm trying to lick the toothpaste off the razor. And I'm like, now, now I'm, my tongue's bleeding like crazy everywhere. I'm like, no, now I'm really gonna be in trouble. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I, I went next and grabbed, I grabbed a bunch of toilet paper and, and put it on my tongue and I like, squeezed it really hard and like it stopped bleeding really fast. And then, uh, and then I flushed the toilet paper and I just used toilet paper to clean up the counter and like, and, and rinsed off. Nobody was ever the wiser. It was, I'm the only <laughs> well, one who, I grew up being the only one know, who knew that ever happened. Nobody. What age were you? What age were you at the time? Last year? I mean, yeah. <laughs> 43. <laughs> I, and, yeah, it, was, it was my own little secret and I grew up with it. And then, and then when they taught me how to chew and swallow a glass, uh, you know, as a clown, not that they, not that clowns do that, but a clown taught me that. I thought, ooh, when I break the light bulb, I'll cut my tongue. You've never told anybody that before. I, I don't. If, if I have, I have not. Like I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. What else you got going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought I you had told every story. Yeah, like I mean, maybe, maybe. Maybe I did. I don't know. Probably not. Maybe it's in my book. I, no. <laughs> I, Plus, I love how like every solution just made it worse and worse. You're like, then my parents were coming home. I didn't want that to happen, so I burned the house down. There's no home to go to. They'll never catch me. Yeah, that's, right. that'd be a funny cartoon. If any guest is listening, they can draw a cartoon to that yeah. story. That'd like Amelia Bedelia. <laughs> right. But uh, in any case, I, I, was, I get in trouble for telling stories about myself when I no, had that was one. a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> quick, Thanks, quick question on your shirt. Is that the Predator What ha- when he was dying? Whoa. What happened there? It's all right. You guys still here? Oh, wait. Uh, you fucked us. Oh. Drew, can okay, you hear we're us? Good now. We're, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I, I, I got there we go. Sorry, that, I knocked the soundboard off. That that T-shirt that you got, is that the Predator? That's what was seen when he was, like, deprogramming yes. at the very end? That absolutely was. Good day. Yeah. Good day there. Yep. Okay, so Predator shirt right before he tried to blow up Arnold. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, started, this is the old school one. In relation to that, I have a question. I, I, have you gotten into much acting i looked at your imdb i didn't see much and it, it surprised me because you've got this great character this presence have you tried to get acting roles and do you have interest in that oh thank you um I, it's weird i've been getting this question a lot over the past <laughs> six months and like today i've had it it's the third time i've been asked it today and i remember asking my wife like you know why do people keep asking me this is like joe you look like you've fallen out of game of thrones or braveheart yeah you're like 300 so yeah i mean it's something that if right now i'm so 
involved with WWE on screen and off screen with a lot of projects. The only way I'd probably do it is it would help boost my profile, which in turn would help WWE and draw new eyeballs to the product. But eventually one day, you know, hey, that's maybe something I'd look into. I'm sure everyone would expect me to go into like action movies or whatever. I want to do something sensitive, show my range, cry a lot. Yeah. Maybe that's where I'm going to go down. Actually, I've got a pitch. This is the movie. If someone makes this right now, I've pitched this a few times. If somebody wants to make this movie, I'm your guy. I get the sense that Drew is very passionate about this idea of his. And you know what I'm passionate about? My butthole. Because, dude, I was just on a trip, and I wiped as well as I could. But still, man, I ended up with, like, a rash between my butt cheeks, dude. I know you know what I'm talking about. And it never happens when I'm at home. Because my toilet is outfitted with tushy okay hellotushy.com is where you get this magical device which when you get done taking a big sloppy dump you just twist the dial and blast a refreshing stream of water it's like it's like pressure cleaning your butthole man there is absolutely no reason why i should be doing it for this long but i enjoy it okay and it gets my butthole so clean plus how much less toilet paper am i using we're saving the world around here folks i have to say this is my favorite thing man and whenever i have to poop and i'm not at home it's like a real problem with me ah dude i get done i use my tushy and then look, nothing on there. Isn't it nice to wipe your butt and not see a big mess on the toilet paper after you wipe? That's what this is about, folks. So go to hellotushy.com slash stevo. Get yourself one of these because it's like you're going to feel, how did I ever live without it? That's how I feel. Hellotushy.com slash stevo. And that gets you 10% off your order plus free shipping. I'll just tell you, this is my favorite product I've ever been introduced to by this podcast. So thank you, hellotushy.com slash Stevo. Now, let's hear that idea. So they had a Braveheart. William Wallace gets killed just like he did in real life. Hung, drawn, and quartered by the English. His body parts are scattered uh, across the four parts of the UK. His head is put in London Bridge. So Braveheart 2, zombies are still in right now. Batista just did a new zombie movie. <laughs> Somebody gets his body parts. They put them back together. He returns as Zombie Wallace and wreaks havoc in the English. Braveheart 2, The Rise of Wallace, I'll play Zombie Wallace. There wow. we go. I can see Someone it. Someone makes it. I'm in. <laughs> what does, uh, does it require somebody to get his parts? Wouldn't it be kind of funny if like the, the, all the parts just started making their way back together? Like, oh, yeah. Like yeah, people, people dead. <laughs> yeah, like, like, like you see like the arm, like part of you and the, the arm is gradually. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. The, yeah, the head. Like Adam's family's itself over to the head. <laughs> the, the, the eyes open up on the, on the spike on London Bridge, like the head, the eyes open up and then, the, then like, you oh, see the yeah, head wiggle a little go. bit and the head just hops off. I like it. Dude. <laughs> we're on to yeah. something you're at. I saw it kind of serious for a second, but now I'm seeing it like Evil Dead or something. I think we're on to something. We're brainstorming yeah. this spray for part sure. Too. <laughs> we're workshopping this thing. So, how, how often do you wear a kilt? Um, these days, a lot. Um, I used to only wear a kilt to weddings and the likes, um, including my own wedding. And my wife made me promise you have to wear underwear. You and your groomsmen have to wear underwear. Uh, for the wedding and I said I promise we'll wear underwear for the wedding so <laughs> sure enough I wore underwear the second I said I do did her thing she went off with the girls I got the guys together and went, let's get rid of these underwears chucked them away and she never found out till later that night we got rid of the underwear because it's not <laughs> official 
if you're Scottish, if you're wearing yeah. underpants, unless you happen to be working on live television, because these days, <laughs> Monday Night Raw, I do come out wearing the kilt. I come out with a giant Scottish claymore, which is about a five-foot sword. I shove it in the stage, and it sets off a pyrotechnic show. So unfortunately, if I went full Scottish on Monday Night Raw, I'd probably get kicked off the television. So I have to wear my gear underneath. <laughs> nice. So you remember in Aberdeen, we we got fitted for kilts, and you were doing handstands in the in the dressing room. <laughs> I, I don't I don't remember that, but uh, it sounds about. You remember right. when we dressed up? Oh, I the... remember. Yeah, that was uh, it. Was great when we were in Scotland. Yeah, we were trying to do handstands. You were at least. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was. A, we had a great time in Scotland. Um, so I, I saw this, this footage and it was super disturbing where, Uh-oh. where uh, it, it wasn't in WW. I think it was, was it maybe WPCW and, uh, yeah. and, and it was like an accident and it was a, a, a super like almost career ending career ending injury where you got spiked on the top of your head and, and it, it was described that, that you, that you weren't, you were feeling the this sensation like leaving your arms like you could see in the footage you were wiggling your fingers thinking like oh no i've just i've just done broke my neck and be- become paralyzed and you couldn't yeah. and, and you couldn't do anything for two months following that like what was that two months like i mean the moment itself was more terrifying than the two months um but yeah i took a maneuver that i shouldn't have agreed to take it was a dangerous ddt um the ddt is a move jake roberts popularized where you take your opponent head under the shoulder, you fall back, they land on their head. This involved lifting your opponent in the air and then dropping them in their head. And the guy giving it to me was half my size. And I knew mechanically it wasn't safe. I still agreed to take it. And essentially when I landed, it was like diving into a swimming pool with your hands behind your back and kissing your own chest. That's how hard I landed. And because because I kissed my own chest, my ear was against my chest and I heard the bones cracking. So uh, yeah, I landed, told him, basically F off, get away from me. I lay there, like lost the sensation in my fingers for a second. They did kind of come back. And I was, as you saw in the footage testing, you know, my fingers and my boots, I was wiggling my toes too, just to make sure I had the feeling there. I was very scared, to be honest. I refused to help out the ring. I got myself up and walked myself to the back, knowing I'd done serious damage and told them, like, call me an ambulance right now. Because it was in the UK and uh, the NHS is not always the best with sending an ambulance, even though it's free healthcare, it took four hours for the ambulance to get there. And I was sitting, swinging my head around, doing neck stretches and things I should not have been doing. Oh. Uh, I got taken to the hospital finally, which I refused to get stretchered out. They said, we have to stretch you out. There's fans out back. I didn't want anybody to know. So I told the ambulance, meet me around the corner, which they, they shouldn't have done that, but they did for me because I, I refused to go out. All the fans are waiting out there. I didn't want any pictures getting stretchered out. So I walked out. I signed some autographs, took some pictures, uh, walked, oh around, the walked around the corner, creeped onto the ambulance, and then they strapped me to the gurney where they lock your neck in place. Yeah. And then I just I lay on that thing for hours, like constant panic attacks. Thankfully, I had my phone just playing on my phone, texting my wife, her telling me it's going to be okay. Got an x-ray they told me there's something going on but we need an mri it's going to take a couple of weeks i told them i don't have that i flew back to america the next day uh, with this injury head swinging around while i was sleeping got that mri and sure enough uh, i'd broken a non-displaced black fracture thankfully my t3 and t4 
in my wow. neck and uh, the doctor looked at the footage and said like you don't know how lucky you are like the bones are broken but being non-displaced they'll heal themselves you just have to wear a body brace from the neck uh, down to your torso basically i basically stayed indoors that entire time i didn't want anyone to see it take any pictures of me i did some shows but i took off the neck brace before it i only talked on the show i walked back from the ring got backstage put the neck brace on left with the show in the car with my wife kept it a secret and it wasn't until a few years later when I finally started talking about it publicly and the book extensively, but it was terrifying and I was in hiding for that two months so nobody knew. Man, so, so that sounds like it's absolutely your worst wrestling injury that you ever had. Yeah, the most scary by far. The worst one that took me out for the longest was my bicep. I scar, but I tore it like off the bone. The surgeon did a great job and it popped off one time during a match. And uh, it took about four months to recover. The neck took two months for the bone to heal, but it could have been disastrous. It sounds worse when you tell somebody I broke my neck. Yeah. I mean, it was better. It was okay. Like, they're like, what do you mean it's a broken neck? I was like, hmm. okay. I got very lucky. It just doesn't well, sound great. Right, and the bicep just... took four months. Did you break both your biceps? Because they look really swollen right now. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. This, one, this one's really broken. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you didn't just break your neck. You, you fractured two separate vertebrae in your neck. Your cervical spine. Yeah, yeah. It was scary to look at the uh, MRI, the doctor to explain what's going on, as well as to show me, you know, that's a herniation, that's a herniation, that's what's going on there. Those are not currently affecting you, but one day they will. And, oh, that's wonderful. And at the time, I was about 32 years old. <laughs> like, God damn. It's not what you want to hear. And since then, you know, I've made a lot of changes in my life, aside, you know, the obvious changes and cutting out the partying, etc. You know, I've started eating healthier hydrating i've got my giant gallon of water here nice. i stretch all the time dude, I'm, it, I'm all about staying healthy these days i need to hydrate man i forgot can you grab me a liquid death dude you want me to grab you a liquid death you, i just don't want to yeah. get up and move Wendy. so drew liquid how death. um yeah liquid death liquid is death a is. speaking of hydrate this is epic water we drink so how how <laughs> apprehensive were you after those two months getting back in the ring doing certain moves again were you was there like a kind of still a shaky period for a while or were you right back on the horse full Blast. Yeah, I was a little worried, but I knew I had to go in 100%. I could never, in wrestling, if you hold back the slightest, you can hurt yourself or hurt your opponent. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of trust we placed in each other not to hurt each other. So I knew I had to be ready mentally. But the thing is, because it was such a real thing, and I finally kind of revealed to the crowd what was going on, um, I decided, because it was real, I wanted to involve it in a storyline. So that show I talked about in Scotland, where over 7,000 people were going to have at the biggest show in independent wrestling ever, the biggest show in UK wrestling outside WWE in 30 years. And I wanted to be on it. So I did the speech. I explained what happened. I explained the injury. That This crowd are over 18s. They're very intelligent to how wrestling works and how that particular company, Insane Championship Wrestling, works in Glasgow. So they didn't buy it at the start. But I started talking about my life, my career, my family, the sacrifices I've made to move to America for so many years. My dad was in the crowd crying. The person I was feuding with at the time who owned the company came out to make it look as real as possible. And somebody shouted something. He threw them out the building and was ready to fight them because we're trying to make it such a serious moment. I got the crowd crying by the end of it. Like, I can't participate in this big show tomorrow. And I'm going to be there. And I just, I'm absolutely devastated. So I finally got them after my Oscar winning 10 minute speech. And mm -hmm. then I just turned and punched the guy I was feuding with in the face, right at the peak of it when everyone was in tears. And he gave me a big hug and I just <laughs> dropped him out of nowhere. And then I screamed, his name's Mark Dallas. I screamed, F you Dallas, 
I'm Drew F. and Galloway. Nothing's going to stop me fighting tomorrow. So sure enough, everybody hated me. And we had to sneak me out the back door because people were ready to stab me, basically. <laughs> they were so irate. But that's the fun thing about our industry. When you can get people and really get them, especially those that think they know the industry, it's such a cool feeling. Absolutely. But that was like, if anyone looks it up online, that was my Oscar performance right there. That's great, man. I mean, um, the- with, with the, the the neck stuff and, and just the, the degenerative, like, the quality of wrestling uh have you thought about trying stem cell therapy yeah i mean a lot of the guys have done it uh they swear by it and it's something i've spoke to the missus about and you know i reckon in the future i'll definitely uh, go down that route and she works in the medical field there is evidence but not enough evidence um, in her opinion but a lot of the guys swear by it so i'm just gonna keep doing my research good good yeah i got uh I got an offer to go do stem cell therapy in Colombia, where the where the the procedures that they do are just not approved in America, like are arguably because they, like to approve those procedures in America would put a ding in the pharmaceutical injury industry and you know whatever. But it's just interesting because I have degenerative disc disease in my neck and. Uh, it, it sort of preemptively wanted to get down there before it becomes painful and debilitating. So you feel uh, like it made a difference. I mean, it, it, it's only been a couple months, and and nothing's supposed to be any different for like three to six months, and the real change is supposed to come in about a year. Um, and and with that said, also uh, I, I'm not. I hadn't reached a point where it was painful or debilitating yet. So you know. It's it's gonna be tough to say oh the pain went away or anything like that you know like so it's, it's as, a long as, the pain, of, as long as the pain never comes like it's worth it. I would love that yeah I would love that so I I had a, a pretty legendary match in the WWE on Monday Night Raw uh, with my my jackass partner uh, Chris Pontius and and we we both took on Umaga and it was pretty legendary I actually got beaten into a blackout. Because I did not know that the match isn't over until you stop moving, you know. And like, and I just like typically react when something happens to me. Like, if I take a blow, like I, I have a reaction. And so yeah. I had, had a reaction. I'm rolling around like, oh, you know. And like, this was taken as a sign of disrespect to Umaga. Like, don't don't roll around. Don't be like, you know, don't be reacting. Like, you want to keep moving around? I'm gonna keep hitting you. And, uh, and, yeah. and, and that's and you how, were like laughing too. And I was laughing too because, like, you know, it's just part of my natural reaction. So, I mean, it, it turned out that he just kept beating me until, like, I like, fully blacked out. Like, I, I, I swear I do not ever remember leaving the ring. And it got dark enough that they cut the commercial. So they never showed me leave the ring. I, it's just a mystery to me whatever happened. The next thing I remember, I was in like the uh, the sound booth, or whatever, like uh, you know the the control room, and uh, you know, and, and the, I was just I, I don't know what happened, but um, I, I think that and the reason I tell this story, and I've definitely told that one before, is because uh, there, there's been a bunch of like kind of like celebrities on like the promotional circuit and they arrange to go promote their movie or whatever it is by going into the ring and having to some extent like uh participation in some kind of a match or something 
And uh, I think that typically the, the WWE wrestlers will go a little easy on, on the celebrities when they're in the ring. But that certainly was not the case for me and my buddy, which is understandable. And I'm just kind of curious, like, if, like, if you've dealt with any, like, big celebrities in the ring. Um, I've not personally been involved in um, any angles, as we call them, with uh, any celebrities in the ring uh, just yet. I do remember that incident. I got the feeling it was the laughing thing, even if it was like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like you, you didn't mean to like, uh, like I know if I was in that position and uh, like the character he was playing was, you know, like such a big, angry, you no know, tough, bad guy uh, from Samoa. And, like if he saw that, like in, I'm sure yeah. I know what he was thinking when he did it. And sorry, you had to go through that. If I anything, know, it good, enha and enhanced his character massively, and at the same time, probably enhanced yourself as well. Oh, dude, such an absolute one, one of the best things that ever happened to me. <laughs> uh, one, one time, I remember one time backstage, um, like Shawn Michaels and uh, Triple H were working with uh, Seth Green um, for an angle they were going to do in the television show one time. With uh, they had a group called Degeneration X, and Seth was going to be involved with it. And uh, they called me into the ring. Like, I was still kind of new at the time, like 23, I believe. And they're like, okay, Seth needs to work on, like, a punch or whatever, like how he's going to throw this punch. So I got in the ring, and, um, you know, he's a little bit shorter, um, Seth. So I so, you know, throw it up and aim for basically here. And I told him, just hit me. You know, I don't mind, you know, taking a hit. As long as you don't hit me in the nose or the eyes, etc. Just, Just hit me, make it look good. And he proceeded to just punch me straight in the throat. <laughs> like a throat punch with Seth. I turned around and went, man, not the throat. And just throat punch me. So I would rather that was on TV because it hurts so much. But, yeah, that's the closest interaction I've had with any physicality. Funny. That was probably just as high as he could reach was the throat. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to be nice. Lovely guy, very talented. But yeah, he's a little, little shorter. Well, I and mean, you're a giant. I even like you standing next to Brock Lesnar. I was shocked. You're almost like you're half a head taller than Brock Lesnar. Yeah, yeah, I'm a little taller. I was than shocked. Brock. And that's interesting. Like when I was gone from WWE and I was working on myself and thinking of the areas I need to improve. Like my body was one of them, and I actually used Brock as like an image in my head. It was almost the biggest match in WWE. Brock, he's the biggest drawing card in the world in WWE right now. I have to look believable in front of him. Like, there's nothing worse when somebody stands in front of somebody in WWE and it's laughable. That guy couldn't fight that guy, mm -hmm. even within the, co the confines of professional wrestling. So I built my body up with the mindset of I want to go face to face with Brock one day and people go, oh, I believe he can fight him. And I continue to build my body up, build my body up uh, with the eating correctly and training, et cetera, until the moment I finally did that. And I saw the picture and I saw the footage back and I was like, wow, it's crazy if you just imagine something hard enough, work hard enough. And he was literally the image I had in my head as I was building my body up. And then it happened in real life. And I literally was looking down at him. He's got me by about 20 pounds, 25 pounds. But just the height makes such a difference <laughs> as well as, you know, we're not that far off mass wise. So that was a special moment for myself. Yeah, man. Wow, so he's got to cut a lot of weight to make that UFC 265. Yeah, yeah, he does, for sure, or did, uh, yeah. for sure. He's such a big, big guy. It's hard to imagine that Brock Lesnar uh, hasn't gotten that big with the help of a little bit of steroids or something. I, yeah, I mean, not, with, not in WWE, I can say that much. Like, uh, thankfully, so, so they're pretty, they're pretty I, strict? Oh, unbelievably. And it's great. You know, since I signed with WWE, you know, the wellness policy, we call it, got incredibly strict. We test for every performance enhancing drug um, imaginable. Uh, when it comes to our health, health is paramount. We get tested for our heart, cardiovascular once a year. If you get a head injury, you have to pass an impact test like the NFL or any other sport before you're allowed back in the ring. Even our former superstars, we have drug rehab programs if they get involved with drugs and want help. 
WWE will pay for it. You know, health is number one these days. Thank goodness. WWE. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I take that back entirely. So, but Brock Lesnar is naturally that huge. 100%. Like we get tested all the time. I actually just get tested this past Monday and it's always random multiple times a year. Dude, that's great, man. We go WWE because I, I know that that, or I think that wasn't always the case, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, like uh, I think a lot of people have made it. I can't say one hundred percent, but you know, like, yeah, no. If you watch, if I can, I've got eyes and I've watched videotapes. I mean, these I, days, one hundred percent, like everybody's one hundred percent. I love to hear that, man. I really love to hear that they're taking care of their 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 people. How about yeah, it's every area as well? Even like mental health is something. Thank goodness is getting focused on so much these days. You know, we have like an outside party. It's not directly involved with WWE, but you can get help through WWE and speak to outside party if you're having any mental health problems. And it's thank goodness we're getting top of that these days. You know, that's something that's important to myself. We actually just lost somebody in wrestling today. And wow. um, I, it really sucks. And uh, I've lost a friend within wrestling a couple of years ago when it, somebody I came up with was the happiest person in the world, was doing great in wrestling. It wasn't his full-time job. He worked also at the same time. Was so happy. He called me to tell me that one of my other friends was struggling. And then he just took his life, just so unexpected oh, and shocked everybody. We never saw it coming. And I'm always you know, adamant to tell people it's okay to not be okay, especially if you're a guy. It's not going to be a big match anymore. It's like tougher to tell somebody, hey, I'm struggling right now. Reach out and get help. Yeah, dude. Is is the problem in the in wrestling like with is it is it a lot of prescription pills or is it drinking or is it both or does one precede the other? I mean, I I have to imagine that a lot of guys are in a lot of pain, and they just kind of yeah. I mean, I think in the past, I mean, that seemed to be the case. Like I say, these days, and since the wellness policy came to effect, it's been eradicated. But if anybody has those issues or have developed those issues since they left WWE, you know, just reach out to WWE and they'll look after you and they'll get you the help you need. That's yeah, amazing. Man. I never knew that about the WWE. I'm glad to know that. That's that's good. The uh, so so when you're on the road doing Monday Night Raw, I mean, I guess like in normal times, every Monday you're in a different city, right? Like uh, th- that's yep. just kind of how it works. And and as I understood it, it was um, like the wrestlers were responsible for getting themselves from city to city, and they had to pay yep. for the, you have to pay for your own travel, your own hotels, and the whole. <laughs> is it still that way? Uh, when it comes to the cars and hotels, yes. Um, we handle our own cars, hotels. WWE pays for the flights. Then you handle your own food, which I prefer. I do like ready-made meals, meal prep that I bring on the road with me so I can stick to my diet at home and on the road. I love being on the road. I missed it so much for the two years that I was at home. It was awesome in the sense that I got to spend a lot of time with my wife. And I know a lot of couples were having troubles and divorcing during that time. Yeah. We spent so much time together. We actually grew closer, which is nice. We're going to make it, it seems. <laughs> my, yeah. two cats, my two cats were happy that I was home. But um, I'm a road warrior. I miss being on the road. I'm excited to be back in front of the live fans and making the towns. And those drives are so much fun for me. And just chatting with the guys, catching up with the guys, and having that guy time that I didn't have for the past year and a half, right. two years. Dude, that, that, that's epic. Okay, let's talk about this criminology business, man. <clears throat> like, uh, I just about watch nothing except for true crime, like, programming. That's yeah, all I'm interested yeah. in. It's all, it's all I'm interested in. I, like, yeah, I, we, I watch it a lot as well. My <laughs> wife is always watching, like, um, what's that one where the females always kill their husbands? <laughs> I'm always walking and she's watching that, like. Why are you always watching this show? <laughs> <laughs> and why are you taking notes? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, on uh, have you seen on on YouTube? There's a channel called JCS Criminal Psychology. 
If you're not aware, if you're not aware of it, dude, dude, dude say goodbye then the next thirty hours of your life. <laughs> Steve right, showed I'm it right to me. I've watched it all. Dude, you watch right. one video on this channel, and 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 then you will you will systematically watch every video on that channel and then you'll you'll be so upset that there's not more you'll start moving on to videos that are called jcs inspired <laughs> oh really oh it's, wow all right that's it, that's not viewing for the next few days and, yeah <laughs> just, but, but the, the jcs inspired ones are are never anywhere near as good as the the real mccoy jcs criminal hmm. psychology it's fantastic. Right, yeah, I love those shows too. But I remember like when I first, the first day of criminology when I was 18 years old, starting university, we're sitting in class and the professor at the time was asking, you know, what kind of shows do you all watch? And they're going around the classroom and basically everybody at the time, CSI was the big thing. You know, like CSI, 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 Miami, Vegas, yeah, 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 yeah. Timbuktu, whatever the latest one was. And then it finally got to me. It was like my favorite show, you know, it was Murder, She Wrote. What do you mean, murder? She wrote. <laughs> murder. She wrote. Yeah. <laughs> like, so the, the, the greatest serial killer of all time. This woman moves from town to town. Actually, somebody dies, and she's help, there to help solve the case. Then she moves to the next town, and she kills again. Jessica Fletcher, greatest serial killer of all time. Yeah, dude, that's fantastic. Angela Lansbury. It really is. Dude, now that would be a fun, uh, a, a fun new series where remake. where uh, a remake of Murder She Wrote, where she's the killer, and she pins it on someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was deadly serious when I said it. I was like, "Come on, time to time, there's always a killing." <laughs> right, <laughs> two and two. <laughs> it's fantastic, dude. It, it, it's wow. Uh, that'd be and, that'd be great. Yeah. Can I ask you about? Uh, I I read on on Wikipedia that you had COVID. Is that okay to talk about? Did you have a, a bad bout of it, or was it not so? One no, I I got very fortunate um, when it came to the symptoms. I lost my sense of smell. Uh, taste and um, was just a little fatigued for a couple of days but um, I mean I didn't smell my cat's bathroom and I ate healthy the whole time because um, you know pizza tastes like dried chicken but I'm very like fortunate again when it comes to WWE like our COVID protocol we're always following the high standard of testing and I got tested on the Thursday I wasn't feeling so hot so they said we're going to test you again on the Sunday before you come to TV we tested me again on the Sunday it came up positive and thank goodness we did um, do that testing and we're always been so strict when it comes to the COVID testing because I came up positive. And if I went into work on the Monday, I could have passed it to someone else. I could have passed it to an at-risk family member. So I feel very grateful, you know, how the high standard of testing we did throughout this entire pandemic and do to this day because we got it. I stayed at home and the wife and I quarantined and I was able to film my interviews from home. So I was getting into a big match with a wrestler called Goldberg at the time. It's huge in the 90s, still big these days. But I used to watch him as a kid. So I wanted to keep this storyline alive. So I was filming interviews from my gym at home and my phone. <laughs> like I was the cameraman, the director, the writer. And I would send them in and they were showing up on Monday Night Raw. If you told like 10-year-old me, hey, one day you're going to be sitting at home filming yourself because you're fighting Goldberg in a couple of weeks. I would blow my mind. It still blows my mind as an adult. Yeah. Dude, that's, that's fantastic, man. I would have imagined the, the kid in you, how stoked was he when you fought The Undertaker? Even though oh, you lost, so, so, still, what an honor, yeah? Yeah, unbelievable. Like, I uh, fought him when I was 24. I was on an undefeated streak as the Vincent Man's chosen one we talked about earlier. And The Undertaker finally defeated me on the SmackDown before WrestleMania, where he retired Shawn Michaels. So that was his big final match going into WrestleMania to retire Shawn Michaels. My first loss. 
again, though, when I look back at it, when I talk about looking like you look the part, he was such a man, like a grown ass man. And I looked like such a boy at the time, like shaven face. I weighed about 30 pounds lighter, such a mismatch. Then I fought him again in 2019. Myself and Shane McMahon fought The Undertaker and Roman Reigns in a tag match. And I deliberately asked for a moment where we went face to face and Taker was cool with it, thankfully. And when we went face to face, now I looked the part and we got to trade blows and it was a really fun match to get back in there with him. And I traveled the world with him as a kid. He was technically my mentor. Vince McMahon wow. put him in char charge of me as a kid. He only listened to The Undertaker. So I've had a lot of good times with The Undertaker learning over the years. Just a genius when it comes to wrestling. Man, Amazing. that's epic. <clears throat> um, what about, like, what, what other, like, mind-boggling matches did you have did you ever have like stone cold or um not a match with he retired and um, years ago but right. i got the opportunity to be on his um chat show if you like stone yeah. cold the, the broken skull sessions where yeah. they flew me out to his home when he was living in la at the time yeah. we'd never really chatted beyond hello sir i'm drew stone cold of course you're stone cold and that was the yeah. extent of a relationship prior to this. But I flew to L.A. I got the chance to sit with them. It was supposed to be about two hours for this special we were going to show. And we ended up talking for about eight straight hours. It got to the point where they had to drag me away from him <laughs> to get the flight <laughs> back from the West Coast to the East Coast because I had an appearance early morning the next day. But he's so smart and passionate about wrestling. And so am I. We just connected right away. And we just to this day, we still talk on the phone. He's, yeah, incredible he's the best, man. He's the best. Like, uh, I, I was on his... Um his uh, TV series with uh, oh yeah yeah dude I just I fell in love with that guy man we had him on here as well yeah so, he's awesome and he's just that character like Stone Cold yeah. again like me being myself finally making that connection with the fans that's just the same guy just the volume turned up just slightly yeah. and that's what got him over not just over like the most popular superstar of all time dude, he, he he's epic um have you entertained any ideas about MMA or any like real serious <laughs> never, not once, never even crossed my mind. Do you watch it? I enjoy the, I do. I like watch it occasionally, especially the big matches, and I enjoy the training. I enjoy like rolling around, uh, jujitsu. I love boxing training. I hate keeping my hands up. I always get popped in the face. My hands are always dropping. But I enjoy the training. I enjoy watching. But it's not something I ever had a passion for. Briefly, I wanted to box when I was about. 10 when i watched rocky for the first time my mom was like no way you're too pretty you're not boxing go and play uh, like soccer like football <laughs> that's how you're playing right now she wouldn't let me box i'm glad she didn't so my nose is kind of still straight it's only been broken about three times instead of 20 times or whatever but uh yeah yeah never even entertained the thought yeah good man me either but god i don't miss a fight dude. i love that ufc stuff I yeah yeah it's fine real fun to watch a lot of our guys you know have trained extensively in it and we've had a lot of people that wrestled at the olympic level and i watched some of them backstage rolling around together and it's just incredible to watch the technique that you want to get in absolutely not yeah. i've wrestled professionally since i was 15 i'm good with that i'm just strictly professional wrestling yeah i mean it's it's scary dude but then again i think that the, that the toll wrestling takes on on one's body is pretty comparable to that of ufc and maybe even more so yeah, it's a schedule. Like the we're fifty-two weeks a year, no reruns, no off seasons. You're making three towns every weekend, non-televised, and then a televised show. 
just the constant car rides, flights, they're the worst in my opinion. And then the matches, the constant bumps, each fall is comparable to a small car wreck. You just constantly doing it, repeat, 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 repeat every single week. You're just building up injuries over time. I assume like boxing with the big gloves and just instead of UFC getting right. knocked out quick, you're just slowly doing that damage. Um, and that's why it's important. Like I talked about staying healthy, staying, keeping stretching, drinking my big gallon of water here and taking my supplements <laughs> to stay as healthy as possible. You drink, you drink a gallon of water a day. Yeah, I should drink more like uh, being like 270. I probably should drink more, but I try and drink at least a gallon. Man, that's crazy. All right. Do you, uh, I, I wonder like to do it. I've got one last question actually, if I could. Yeah. I, I, I read something about like when you were a kid, you read some conspiracy book, and so you got really oh, yeah. into it. I'm surprised and, you never brought this up before. Well, and then technology. and then it said you <laughs> you reached out to the FBI for some information through the Freedom of Information Act, and uh, a few sources said, and the FBI actually sent you some some papers or an envelope or something, but nobody said what was in it or like what they told you. <laughs> what do you know, Drew? <laughs> hey, what was it about? What, what was the case? Oh, they sent everything. No, like there was a sample letter in a magazine called the X Factor magazine I used to get when I was a kid, literally 10, 11 years old. It was conspiracy theories, ghosts, UFOs, strange bugs. Read about the Ebola virus when I was like 10. I was a weird kid. Also loved wrestling, went to wrestling. Really weird kids. <laughs> and uh, I filled in this sample letter, um, you know, for the, under the Freedom of Information Act. You just followed it word for word and add in the documents you wanted. I believe I requested Roswell, Project Blue Book, a few UFO related things, sent it away. <laughs> And sure enough, a few weeks later, I used my pocket money <laughs> to send it away. Came back home from school, and my dad was waiting for me. And I was like, Dad, why are you home? You're never home till like 6, 7 p.m. This is like 4 in the afternoon when I got home from school, and he just had this big dossier in his lap. I said, Drew, why are the FBI in America sending you documents? <laughs> and oh, because I asked for them, Dad. He was like, yeah, i never forget he kept saying in America. I was like, Drew, why are the Federal Bureau of Investigation in America sending me these documents? Like, oh, it's fine. And, you know, it's under the Freedom of Information Act. It's perfectly legal. And I paid for it, you know, with my pocket money, whatever. This is my business. It's true. You're, like, I believe I was 11. Drew, you're 11 years old. Just go outside and play football or something. <laughs> so, took my documents off them, nonetheless. Sat them in my cupboard. Went out and played for a while. Came back, looked at them, and they blacked out all the important stuff. Oh, I used a magnifying wow. glass, whatever I could. To try and find them, but yeah, yeah, that was pretty fun. And my dad still talks about that story to this day. Was like, man, you're lucky you were so big as a kid; you would have got so beat up. <laughs> I, I, well, that, I feel like that leads to a follow-up question because now all of these, like the the United States government, the Pentagon, like, are actually coming out and saying no. UFOs are real. And yeah, nobody it's wild, seems to care. Nobody's paying attention. <laughs> I'm looking around. Like, it's like, wait a second. They're like. I mean, if you if you told like ten or eleven year old Drew that like the the United States government is going to come out and acknowledge UFOs are completely real and nobody's going to give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd have blown my mind. I mean, that's the thing I realized when I was like again eleven years old, whatever. It was like all these conspiracy theories. You know, they're not all true, but with the smoke, this fire. Realistically, if I find anything out. They're probably going to make me disappear, so I should focus on this wrestling thing. So that's when I started <laughs> focusing on the wrestling thing. And thankfully, it worked out. But yeah, we're now we're in 2020, 2021. Now they've been releasing these videos, and with everything going on in the world, just flying under the radar. Yeah. And my mind is blowing. Like pilots literally say, we can't do that. It's, <laughs> <Nobody yeah. cares. laughs> yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Well, dude, thank you so much for, for doing this, man. It's really, uh, it, it's really rad and, and um, for being so open, dude. Obviously, your book's going to be epic, so let's remind everybody to get on there and, and buy the 
A Chosen Destiny. Drew McIntyre, my story, dude. And uh, did, did you, like, do you have a preference? Like, go in and buy it in retail or buy it on Amazon? Yeah, I mean, if you just look on the internet, as I say, it's, it's everywhere. I'm very fortunate it was so widely distributed. And if you like it, just please give me your feedback on social media. I especially enjoy the ones where, you know, people are um, able to get help through something they read in my book. I've read so many of them and I appreciate every single one. So hit me with that feedback. And guys, thanks for having me on today. This was genuinely fun. Like I'm always so serious about interviews, but I get the chance just to sit and chat, yeah. be so relaxed. It's a lot of fun. And when we're in your area, if you've got a show there, make sure you hit us up. We'll get you along to the show. And I promise you won't get knocked out if you're on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I, now I know. You. <laughs> now I know. Dude. We're going to be close to Nashville. Uh, I, I have a show coming up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh, really? Let us know when. If it's uh, a day that I'm not working, my wife and I will definitely be there. I'll bring ah. Seamus along too, other WWE wrestlers. We're feuding on TV right now, but we'll make peace for that one night. We all show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's epic, man. And, and, uh, and on uh, social media, what's your handle? Um, let me get this right. It's one with a tick. Uh, at D McIntyre WWE on Twitter and Instagram. And if anybody messages anyone out there telling them you're me and asking for money or that you're going to start a relationship and it doesn't have the tick, please, people, it's not me. Stop sending these people All right, money. Dude, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you right now so on, uh, on Instagram. Uh, D McIntyre on Instagram. Boom. D McIntyre WWE. And, uh, okay, good. <laughs> Good. I'm going to follow you on there right now, as should everybody else. And, uh, dude, thank you again, brother. Awesome. I appreciate you both. And yes. we'll see you all in the future in person. Thanks, Drew. Hell thank yeah, you, Drew. man. Thanks, right on, How about that, huh? Just got to respect that guy, man. And um, what can I say, dude? Big, big things happening, man. I, I have been on a theater tour over here, folks. I mean, if you don't know about my bucket list tour find out okay because it is popping down and as always thank you guys for sticking around to the very end i genuinely appreciate you and i love you yeah dude